I come to the pulpit this morning with a heavy heart. A heavy heart for our society and our culture. A heavy heart for people who are believers in Christ. And I come this morning in an effort not to give you fear, but I'm going to talk about the end times today. And I'm, I'm 47 years old, and I've been in church all my life, and I've went through many messages about the end times and, and being feared into salvation, if you would. But that's not my intent this morning, so I want to preface that. So if you start to begin, your mind begins to wander and wanders in that direction. It is not the intent. I don't think it's the intent of the Lord to bring you into a fear of salvation, fear you into salvation. So I preface my message that this morning. But what I do want to put in your heart, what I do want to put in your mind this morning is a, is a hope and a promise about our Lord and our Savior. So be ready for that. Got a lot of scriptures this morning. I'm, I'm going to try to preach this as fast as I can. So as pastor says, speed listen, because I've got a lot in this. But thanks for being here again. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 24, I've got a lot of scripture. Most of it's going to be on the screen this morning. Thanks, Megan, for making that happen. Thank the tech team for all that they do. These guys are so faithful in their ministry. They work with me, and they put up with me sometimes, and appreciate all you guys do. Thanks so much. Matthew 24, verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Do you not see all these buildings? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. This is the context that the Lord is trying to bring to us about prophetic things. He's trying to bring to us about future things that are going to happen. And Jesus begins to establish his kingdom on earth through this message right here. This bringing up to the disciples, this concept to, the, to their minds about end times and about his future return, the disciples leave that place wondering what is really going on and what they have questions in their minds about this opportunity. So in Matthew 3, we find them in a different location at the Mount of Olives. And he sits down and he says, the disciples came to them privately saying, tell us when these things are going to happen. When is the end of the age? When, when are you going to return? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The disciples were asking this 2,000 years ago. A question people are still infatuated about asking today, here and now, in our society. When will Jesus return, and are we at the end of the age? The question of Jesus' return is usually a question studied and talked about in churches and religious realms. But the question about the end of the world is, is something different. It's discussed by everyone. Hindus, Muslims, atheists, Christians, non-religious people, they want to know when the end of the age is coming. You may have heard about a doomsday clock. You ever heard of the doomsday clock? 
Very few of you have. Some of you have. In the doomsday clock, it was in the news a few weeks ago, it's a representation about a, a global catastrophe, the world coming to an end, this doomsday clock. It's about nuclear war. It's about an environmental meltdown on our planet and some other catastrophe that may happen to bring this doomsday clock up. The doomsday clock was started in 1947. Many of you were not born in 1947. <laughs> It's a bulletin that these atomic scientists put together in 1947. There were 18 Nobel laureates that had put this together. They had designed this. The closer the clock is set to midnight, it reflects the doomedest day possibility of the end of the world. When it was first established in 1947, it was right after the, the bombings of Nagasaki and Hiroshima at the end of World War II. The clock originally was set to seven minutes to midnight. Midnight being the meltdown, the end of the world. Seven minutes to midnight. In 1949, the clock's minute hand was moved to two minutes to midnight. Two minutes. The reason they had moved it to two minutes before midnight was due to the fact that Russia and the United States had tested nuclear weapons one more time within nine months of each other. That was the closest it had been for the, since its establishment. The clock has fluctuated over the last 50, 60 years, two minutes. In 1991, it was moved all the way back to 17 minutes to midnight. So we're moving in the right direction, I guess they were thinking. This was due to Russia and the United States disarming and coming to an agreement that they would get rid of their nuclear weapons. And in 2015, the scientists moved this clock again closer to midnight at three minutes to midnight. And then in 2016, they maintained it at three minutes. Since 2016, they have been moving it closer to midnight by 30 seconds every year until January of this year, and they moved it to 100 seconds to midnight. It's quiet in here. A hundred seconds to midnight. Almost midnight, I would say. Let's pray. Again, Father, we come to you humbly, Lord. Lord, challenge us with your word today. Open our hearts and our minds, Lord. Continue to do that work inside of us that brings us closer to you. May we look to the hope and the promise that you have said you would do. You would return soon. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. This doomsday clock was established by scientists and has been maintained by these atomic scientists. There's not an ounce of religious intent or religious interest among these scientists. Those involved of this formation clock don't have any God in mind when they're making it. It's simply a measuring stick for scientists to communicate their concern regarding about what man is doing to this planet. Environmental concerns, 
catastrophes on this planet, nuclear weapons, making of them, the nearness of the end of the world reinforces what I referenced a moment ago about a whole lot of people are concerned about the end of the age, the conversation, the potential ending of this world as we know it. Ironically, scientists have come up with this midnight doomsday clock about Earth's meltdown, but in Scripture, what does Scripture have to say about the midnight hour? It's a symbol of something else. It's a symbol of Jesus' return. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable about some young ladies, ten young ladies, and he's talking about his return. So he gives this parable that these young ladies were anticipating and exciting during a wedding. The groom had stepped away, and he had went away, and the ladies had some lamps. It was at night. And five of the ladies were prepared. They had enough oil in their lamps to wait for the groom until he had returned. And five other ladies, they didn't have enough oil in their lamps. And so while the groom was away, their lamps, five of them, ran out of oil. And those five ladies left there, went to go purchase some more oil, while the other five ladies... And Christ calls them the wise ladies. They anticipated the return of the groom. The other five had ran out. And while they were gone, the groom came back. In Matthew 25, at the end of it, it says, And at the midnight cry, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet them. In verse 10, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the five came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And Jesus, this is his summation of this story. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming, Scientists believe that the closer that we get to the midnight hour, there's going to be a nuclear war. There's going to be some doomsday thing, environmental meltdown. Something's going to happen at the end of the age. And we can look at current events and that we're told by prophets from from the word from thousands of years ago that this is going to happen. It's a reality. It's obvious to me, in my opinion, that we're getting closer and closer to the midnight hour in Scripture. It's an eternal thing because the way the reference in Scripture talks about the last day's events. Over the last few weeks, I've felt strongly about this. I've talked to many of you about events and things going on around our world. I've had conversations and I've listened to the news about things that are going on. My intent today, again, is to let you be aware, to bring you to an awareness to the reality about future things, not to incite fear, not to set any dates, not to dive into some deep end time study. In the course of my life, I've seen date setters. How many remember the 88 reasons? (laughs) 
88 reasons Christ is coming in 1988. It didn't happen, did it? Those people that set dates, they've made fools of themselves. They've hurt the cause of Christ. The people that have been prophecy experts, they've had to erase their maps. They've had to reset their clocks. They've had to do all kinds of things, reprint their books. I believe that God, in his wisdom, has revealed to us just enough about his return and the end of the world to point our hearts in a direction that is closer to him. But I also intentionally leave us, he he has left us an intent not to just keep us wondering what's going to happen, but to keep us humble, to keep us looking for him, to keep us seeking him. He gives us just information to keep us trusting him. These kinds of matters. But the human race, we're a curious bunch of people. We want to know. We want to know what's going on. We want to be in the know. And we want to share in the know things with other people. We take matters into our own hands and we put them into places where They don't need to be. They start talking about things that aren't true, but yet they think they are. Even in the church, man and in his arrogance talks and acts like he's figured out what God's intent is. We feel better about our life when things are certain, right? Ambiguity and uncertainty cause us to fear. We're a curious bunch. Our certainty makes us feel secure. The more uncertain times, the more fear is prevalent among us. When that happens, the more straws that we begin to grasp at, the more chaos that's around us. Sound like today? Sure it does. Fear and uncertainty has proven us to be a very gullible bunch of people. We chase what we would never have chased when we're afraid. We trust Things that we would never have trusted when we're afraid. When fear motivates our decision-making, we make bad decisions. For the child of God, let's talk about us, right? Because we're never afraid. For the child of God who is resolute in their trust of God, in the character and the integrity and the justice of our God, Someone who can trust his word. Someone knows that he will keep his word. We walk in a sense when we listen to scientists talk about doomsday and we're not afraid. We don't hear the inciting fear that some people love to spread. There is a rest in our soul. There's a peace in our heart. God is doing what he knows he needs to do. All of this fear and chaos around us are pawns being used by God alone. It is His design, His plan. Instead of being afraid and living in an hour that's a hundred seconds to midnight, we ought to be looking at the opportunity that is set in front of us. What are we doing as a church? Where are we going with our opportunity that has been set in front of us? He's granting us and giving us the privilege of being alive and being this generation if it is the end times. He is giving us an opportunity to minister to others. 
It's the most opportune time I believe that the church has ever been granted. God has chosen you. Point to your neighbor and say you. He has chosen you to be alive today. Again, I'm not here to fearmonger you. I'm not here to scare you. But there's more about the Lord's return that I don't know than what I do know. But I have a few things this morning I want to talk to you about. Five things about what I absolutely do know about the Lord. Number one, Jesus made a promise to return. We know this, right? I'm going to walk us through scripture on some of these things. John 14, 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I am going. His return is certain, because he said and he promised that he would come back. If he doesn't keep his word about coming back, he won't keep his word about anything else in Scripture. He's trustworthy. This is what he promised to do, that he would come back. If his word is not true, then nothing in life else matters. If his word is true, it is the only thing that matters. Scientists see the pressure that that is building in our world. Even the irreligious see the inevitable about our world. Our world is wearing out. The impact of sin on our world, the impact of sin on the human race is escalating to a cataclysmic level. Those without a biblical worldview are explaining the wearing out of our planet every which way they can. It's a meltdown. It's a catastrophe. The human race and all that they have to do are trying to explain the wearing out about our planet when it's simple. It is due to the fallen man. But those of us with a biblical worldview see all that is unfolding in this planet, unfolding in our lives and unfolding in Scripture. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about creation in Romans 8. Now for all creation is waiting eagerly. Turn to your neighbor and say eagerly. Eagerly. Creation is waiting eagerly. Creation is the world here. It's not man. It's creation. For the future day when God will reveal whose children we really are. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Since Adam and Eve are banned from the garden, sin has been a devastating impact on this planet. On us as a human race. The environment. God has promised to us that he would send his son to take care of the effects of sin on this world. 
But he has also said, as we read about the prophecies, what's going on to restore the, the damages of this planet? He was going to create a new heaven and a new earth. So the coming of Jesus would not only restore us, but it's going to restore the planet that we live on. Here's something else that I know. He gave us some signs, characteristics of the culture that Christ will return to. What is going to be going on on this planet when Christ returns? We read a moment ago in Matthew 24 where the disciples were asking about signs about the end times. And he says, and he answers them in Matthew 24, he answers them in many different places throughout Scripture. There are hints that are dropped by Paul and different disciples as they write about the end times. But we're going to talk about the crowd, the culture, the people that will be prevalent in this era of time that the Lord returns in. The age of the crowd that God uses These people he's going to use as a barometer to see what kind of pressure that it is around this planet. Anytime somebody asks a question in Scripture, the writers of the the Scripture, Paul, anyone, anyone that else is writing about the end times, they always point to the end time crowd, the end time culture. You see it in Matthew 24. Jesus gives the characteristics of the culture. The midnight hour is a barometer. It's the measure, the pressure of the ages. Listen to it as he describes it in Matthew 24, 4. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. There's going to be people that are going to try to mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. That crowd at the end age will be marked by false prophets. Verse 6. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars. Don't panic. Yet these things take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. When you are living in this world and you're, you're racked by earthquakes and famines and things going on, there's fear to be had. Pestilence, disease. Anybody afraid of COVID? Verse 9. Then you will be arrested and persecuted and killed. and You will be hated all over the world because of being my followers. In 2019, I believe that more Christians have been persecuted and killed for the cause of Christ than any other time in history. More people have lost their lives in 2019 proclaiming the faith. Verse 10, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So much of the signs of this culture that, are going, that Christ is going to return back to are measured by the lives and the actions of the people that are alive during that time. I just want to quickly walk through a couple more scriptures with you. To determine, I want you to determine, when do you think the end of the age will be? 
I just want you to determine how close you think we are to the midnight hour. In 2 Timothy 3, this is Paul talking to Timothy, and he says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times, for the people will loathe only themselves. <laughs> they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents. You ever had a teenager? <laughs> well, you know, that's not just applicable to teenagers. You know, as an adult, you need to listen to mom and dad. They're still your mom and dad. There's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of things going on there you don't know about. Side note, sorry. Verse 3, they will be unloving, unforgiving, and they will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless and puffed up with pride, love pressure, pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could be to make them godly. I read that and I think there is a power out there that will make you godly. Did you realize that? Stay away from people like that, Timothy. I want to encourage you, stay away from people like that. Teenagers. <laughs> Stay away from people like that. You read that and you determine how relevant we are as a crowd to the end age. Determine how close we are to the midnight hour. Here's another one. Jesus is speaking to Luke, or, or Luke is speaking about Jesus, and Luke records the signs that Jesus is giving here at the end time. And in verse 26, he says, When the Son of Man returns, it will be like that of Noah's day. So what was it like in Noah's day? In those days, people enjoyed banquets. They enjoyed parties and weddings right up to the time of Noah entering the boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28, and the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. So what was it like in the days of Lot? People went about their daily business, eating and drinking and buying and selling, farming and building until the morning lot left Sodom. The fire and the burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man returns. In other words, they're going to be going about their daily business. We live in a capitalistic society. We're making business, making it happen, doing it, doing it better than ever before. They're all going to be consumed with entertainment. Do you think our society is in, in consumed with entertainment? We are entertained to death. Everybody's going to be doing their own thing, their own deal, completely distracted because they want to live their own life. Here's something else that I'm certain about. Not everything about his return is going to be pleasant. This is a difficult thing to preach right here. This one right here is hard. Just reach over and pull your seatbelt over and buckle up, okay? This is something our society doesn't want to hear today. God is a God of grace, is he not? He's also a righteous and a just judge, Scripture tells us. God is gracious and He's merciful beyond our comprehension. But His integrity, His justice demands that we deal 
with sin. God is going to deal with your sin graciously. He's going to deal with your sin graciously as we humble ourselves and we come to him in repentance. In repentance, we're going to be drawn closer to God. In repentance, we're going to be drawn back to him. However, if we don't allow that to happen today, God must deal with our sin at the judgment seat, at the end of the ages. The Apostle Peter says it like this. We want to talk about God's grace and we want to ignore the aspect of God's righteousness and his judgment because we don't want to be off-putting. We don't want to hear about that. The world doesn't want to hear about the fire and the brimstone. And it's difficult for me not to shout right now because I want you to get the message clear today. We try to motivate people with fear and it doesn't work. But I can't preach this gospel without being bringing you the entire gospel to you it's integral it's part of it i have to preach the full counsel of the word of god and the only when we talk about grace we must hear about sin too this part of god's character must be preached to second peter three most importantly i want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything remained the same since the world was first created. What are they saying right there? They're saying, God hasn't, Jesus hasn't come and he hasn't come and we're not going to expect him anytime soon. That'll be sometime in the future. Verse 5. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. They brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. That's in reference back to Noah. And verse 7 is about the future. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. We have a hard time grasping this in our culture because we've created a, a sweet little baby cake, patty cake Jesus. But he's not. We see idiots portrayed on television as dads in sitcoms. We've turned God into some naive little grandpa that really doesn't know about what's really going on. We act like we can ignore his word and live like there's no boundaries and assume at the end of the age, everything's going to be okay. We act like this is some video game on an Xbox and all we have to do is reach out and press the reset button and everything's going to be okay. We can respawn. We act like a culture that has been told this is not very serious. Church, it's serious. This is so serious. This is a message that we all need to hear. 
your life not being cut from a cheerleading squad, a football team, a baseball team, being cut from a job, being asked to retire early, seeing your financial egg nest for for retirement melt away is not a crisis compared to this. The greatest crisis of any life would be to come to the end of your life, the end of your life as you know it, and face the judgment seat of Christ. Don't play patty cake with Jesus. It's real, church. Missing eternity with Jesus is the greatest life crisis anybody will ever experience. Here's something else I know. The only reason he has delayed his coming is mercy and grace. Scripture tells us he's buying time for more people to come to him. He knows the righteous demands that judges sin. He also knows that longer I wait, the more people have the opportunity to respond to the wooing of the Holy Spirit. A moment ago, I finished reading the Apostle Peter's conversation at the, about the end time and the end age in verse 7. But it wasn't the end of the conversation. He goes on in verse 8, and he says this. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient. He's being patient, church. He's being patient for you. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He doesn't want anyone, everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in the fire and the earth and everything on it will deserve judgment. Verse 11, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day that God is hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire. The elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Just as he's promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for the things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure, blameless in his sight. And here's how Peter ends this. Verse 15, and remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. The only reason, church, that he is yet to come is because of you. Here's another thing I know. Your perspective about these matters determines your attitude at this moment. Your perspective about these matters determines your attitude about moving forward as the heat is turned up in our world, as things begin to end in this end age. If we are, and I don't know that we are, but if we are, and Scripture sure looks like we are at this midnight hour, if we're that generation that is alive during these last days as Christ is about to return, then your attitude about things 
will be completely determined about your perspective about what Scripture says. If you have an unwavering trust in the God that you serve, in the sovereign control that He has, in the integrity that He is, the scientist's doomsday clock, the, the Bible's conversation about this end time, that should bring your heart to hope. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. And just as each person is destined to die, once after that comes judgment. So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sin, but to bring salvation to those who eagerly wait for him. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you eager? Are you eager? Church, we need to be that eagerly people that are awaiting and anticipating his return. He came the first time to deal with sin. He's looking for his bride when he comes back. Salvation, whatever's going on, happen in the end world. Those who are eagerly awaiting him, there's some in this room who are followers of Christ. You say you are a follower of Christ. There are many churches all over this world today. There are people filled in there and they think they're followers of Christ. They want to go to heaven. But will they be described as those eagerly awaiting his return? I read, I read this article by John Piper. It's a devotional. I want to read it to you. John Piper says this. There is a phony faith that claims to believe in Christ, but it is only a fire insurance policy. We've heard that over time. He calls it phony faith believes only to escape hell. It has no real desire for Christ. In fact, it would prefer he did not come so that we can have as much of this world's pleasures as possible. This shows that the heart is not with Christ, but with the world. So the issue is, are we a people who are eagerly anticipating, waiting for the return of Christ? Do we see his kingdom being established? Do we want to be reunited with him in a closer personal fellowship with Christ? Or do we wait while our love affair with this world runs its course. This is a question about the authenticity of our faith. Do we believe it? There was a time in, in the United States when we went through a depression. There was a time in the United States when one man owned another man. And in our today's society, we bring that up about it a lot. We were persecuted in times past. It was in the moments of the persecution in our past that we sang songs as a people of faith, looking and hoping for a future. We sang songs like, Swing Down, Sweet Chariot. And come forth to carry me where? Home. It was a song of hope born in the face of persecution. It was an era 
that we sang songs when we all get to heaven. You remember those songs? They were songs in heaven's jubilee. How about, oh, I want to see him look upon his face. What a day that will be. Because there's nothing in that time frame worth holding on to in this world. But today, our lives have changed. It's different now. We're comfortable here. We have air conditioning. We have technology. We've become ingested. We've, we enjoy this place that we live on. How about I'm going to take a trip on a good old gospel ship? That's a good song. And we may sing that song today, but we don't want to take the first ship. We want to take the 54th ship. question is are we in enough relationship that we could be described as those in scripture who are eagerly awaiting his appearing the book of revelation talks about the end times i'm a pastor i don't necessarily do a lot of pastoral things but i i pastor some people here in this church I'm here when I hear about one of you losing your job. I'm here when I hear about one of you going through a divorce. I carry some of these things home like, Pastor Dave, I just got diagnosed with cancer. Pastor Dave, my daughter ran away from home. Sometimes I carry that home with me the hurting deep down inside. Revelation 21 talks about the end times. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout, and from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among us people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. The next chapter, John the Revelator writes a prayer and he says, Come, Lord Jesus. Church, I don't know what kind of hell is between now and the end of our age, where we're headed, but I know that the Lord is going to return. Scripture says, he leadeth me. I don't know if it's through still waters he's going to lead me. I don't know if it's through the valley of the shadow of death that he's going to lead me. But church, he leads you. He leads you. I don't know where we're headed. 
I do know that right now, I think this world is headed to a crash collision course with chaos. The God who set all of this world into motion, he's not nervous. He's not sleeping. He's not slumbering. He knows exactly what's going on. God is in control. The psalmist tells us that he has written down the days of your life. He knows what's going to happen in your life. If I can come to a place where I trust him, turn to your neighbor and say, do you trust him? Do you trust him? If I can come to a place where I trust him, I can see the moments of my life being directed and led by God Almighty. Can't you? He has gotten you this far. He is going to bring you through the end of the age. We have an opportunity in front of us, church. Scripture tells us about a great falling away in, at the end times. But he also tells us about a great awakening. People will be coming. Are you eagerly waiting and anticipating the return of the Lord? There are going to be people who fall away. But there's going to be people who come back to the Lord. They're going to be looking for hope. Is hope within you? If we're believers living in a chaotic world and we're running around in fear... They're not going to be coming to you. You need to be offering hope and peace and life. If we're as confused as everybody else, it's maybe because we're not eagerly anticipating his return. Because we need to be led by him. Have you ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? What does it start off with? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come means that you want His kingdom to come and be established on earth. Pray that prayer. When you pray that, you're asking Him to come quickly, Lord Jesus. We ought to march to a beat of a different drummer today in this end time. We should have hope in our hearts, peace in our minds. The cadence in our steps should be different than the world's. We need to be smiling during this chaos. We need to not be caught up during this political season of mudslinging. But we should offer peace and hope to a dying generation. Don't be griping and complaining. God is in control, church. God is going to accomplish His purpose at His time, in His way, in His will whether it be tomorrow or in the future, but don't look through the lens of a fearful heart. At the beginning of this message, I told you about a parable. The wise and the, the foolish virgins. They all were sleeping and slumbering, trying to figure out what was going on. They were anticipating this groom to return. And in verse 6, it says... At the midnight cry, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. I've asked Jason to come and sing a song for us. 
It's a song about the midnight hour, about the midnight cry. If you've been around in church realms, you've heard this song many years ago, and I thought it would be a good time to bring hope back to us to talk about this song. Go ahead.
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then who all who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, church, comfort one another with these words. We have a blessed hope. The blessed hope of the church, may it be a hope for you today. May it be a hope for your neighbor. May it be a hope for your loved one. We have a blessed hope because God is in control. He's the comforter. He's the peace giver. He's the life giver. He is in control. It's all going to happen like he said it would. My heart today would be to ask you some questions. Where is your heart conditioned today? Have you been eagerly awaiting the Lord? Where are you spiritually today? Is there a passion in your speaking? Is there a passion in your coming and going? Is there a passion eagerly awaiting the Lord? Is there a sense of an urgency about unsaved loved ones? Unsaved neighbors. I'm concerned about the lostness of this world. People that don't know Jesus. Does it concern your heart that there are over 2 billion people that don't know the Lord? One of them is a child down the street who needs hope for tomorrow. One of them is one of your relatives. My intent today was to bring us to the altars and have us pray. I understand the COVID situation. Maybe you need to make an altar at your seat. But this morning, I want to pray a blessing over you before we leave. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you bless them, that you keep them, that you make your face shine upon them as they go from this place. Lord, be gracious to them. Turn your countenance and your direction towards them, Lord. In this hour of fear and chaos, Lord, send your peace to them. Help them understand that your heart is about the lost. Your heart, your will for the lost to be saved. You're waiting to come because of lost people. Lord, give them grace. Give them mercy. Lord, stir in our hearts a passion for the lost. Understand that you are patient in your return. Lord, give them that peace in their hearts, Father. Help them to find the words to speak to their unsaved loved ones. Lord, we ask all of these things in your mighty, most precious name we pray. Amen.